What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and music is for the people. We at Rockstrikes10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels or hopefully the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, it is time for the last part of the 90 from 90 series. We're in part nine right here, which can only mean one thing. It is now time for the top 10 albums of the year 1990. We've been counting down the top 70 albums here of 1990, and we're here at the finish line. Man, is this going to be a hell of a show if I do say so myself. And maybe a surprise here. Maybe some people might think this entry is too low. But I gotta say, I mean, 10 through 1 is almost kind of tied all for first, honestly. But at this point, I just took the point system and did the song by song rating. And out comes the top 10 right here. So coming in at number 10... A band that, uh, you know, is from just a few miles from where I'm sitting here at the CNJ Radio Studios. Not far at all. I mean, I could Uber there and nobody would even blink. So, yeah. Talking about Pantera. Of course, the great Pantera from Arlington, Texas. Uh, actually, Pantigo, Texas. Uh, and that's also where they recorded their fifth, yes, their fifth studio album, Cowboys from Hell. But it was the album that introduced them to the world. This is the album that they hit the road with metal icons and they played Russia. I mean, they were everywhere and they just got bigger and bigger. They became, in my opinion, the metal band of the 90s especially and one of the most seminal metal bands of all time now. Uh, Even before all the tragedy, even before all the controversy, they solidified their place in metal history. Pantera, one of the greats. It's, it's crazy to think that I have a real-time memory of like all these things happening, but man, yeah. And uh, I love those first four records, but yeah, changing their sound, uh, getting into the hybrid, you know, groove metal thing, getting into heavy, heavy metal right here. Other bands were getting lighter. They just got heavier. That's just what they did. So, yeah. They put out their album here, their breakthrough album, Cowboys from Hell. On July 24th of 1990, this album was produced by Terry Date, and it is a beast, for sure. I could have played most anything off of this. There's not very many duds, if any, on this album. I'm going to go with this one right here. It's great, and as much as we love the title track, which is always great, Cemetery Gates, Primal Concrete Sledge is a favorite of mine, you know, stuff like that. I'm going to do this one right here. So here you go. Kicking off the show in fine fashion. It's Domination. Birthday, like a motherfucker. <laughs> 
That's how you kick off a show there. All right. Domination by Pantera, our local boys out here from the Cowboys from Hell record. Coming in at number 10 of 1990. Hope you enjoyed that. Coming in at number 9 right here. An album that came out the dawn of the decade, right at the beginning of the year 1990. On February 13th, 1990 to be exact. An album that was produced by the great George Draculias, as name checked in Paul's Boutique. Not produced by Rick Rubin, as everybody thinks. Don't believe me? Ask the band. He was never there. Didn't want much to do with the band. Didn't put his name on the record until it started selling records. There you go. All right. I pick on Rick Rubin, but hey, you know, I mean, that's a that's a layup right there. You got to pick on him for that reason. Uh, so yeah, the Black Crows put out their debut album and kicked off their fine career 
in the beginning of 1990 with the album Shake Your Money Maker. Great meat and potatoes rock and roll record right here, harkening back to the days of the faces and the stones and stuff like that. And it, it was just nice. I mean, it was a proverbial breath of fresh air to see this band come out and just do it the way it's been done before. But it's still really one of the best ways to do it, honestly. So yeah, I never get tired of this record. Even some of the overplayed songs, I still like listening to them in the confines of the record. It still plays very well. Uh, so yeah, here's a little sort of deepish cut right here. And man, I gotta say, there's not many bands that do ballads the way that the Black Crows do. I really love their smooth jams. And uh, this is one of those first like, okay, yeah, this band. So here you go from Shaker Moneymaker. We're going to ease it down a little bit right here with Seeing Things.
right, Black Crows right there with Seeing Things from their debut album, Shake Your Money Maker. Good stuff right there. Of course it is. Moving on to number eight right here. This is a big one for me also. Got it on vinyl, the whole thing, just like Black Crows. Oh, by the way, before we get to this entry right here, number 10 and number nine, although Pantera and the Black Crows may seem like a weird jump, those two bands actually shared the stage at that Russia gig I talked about before I played Pantera. So that really crazy Monsters of Rock and Russia show, Black Crows and Pantera opened up that show right there. So there you go. Have the genres coming together to, you know, celebrate rock and roll and, and what could have been, you know, a great, brave new world. Anyway, all right. Once again, number eight right here. An album produced by uh, the aforementioned Mark Dotson. I mentioned that name earlier, uh, either somewhere in the top 20 or, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that he produced an Anthrax record. That was true. He also produced this album right here. This album that came out on July 3rd of 1990. Fitting that it was at the dawn of the 4th of July. Because the album is called Lights, Camera, Revolution. The great, the great suicidal tendencies. Uh, love suicidal tendencies. Another band that, you know, definitely started off as a hardcore crossover, you know, crossing over into thrash and metal, having fans from that. Uh, but also at the, you know, at the beginning of the 90s, definitely embracing more of the groove and funk metal hybrid. Uh, but yeah, and then which basically gave way to infectious grooves. Like they got so far out from the hardcore thing, I think it, you know, bummed out a lot of their hardcore fans. So they, you know, started infectious grooves, or at least Mike did. Uh, and uh, Mike and Mike, <laughs> and did that, and then they kind of went, you know, they, they experimented some more, and then they kind of, you know, got their, went back to their roots, that kind of thing, but they had a whole journey, and this was kind of, uh, Lights, Camera, Revolution, and Art of Rebellion, especially, are like the two peaks of, like, them experimenting, but really, honestly, those are great records. Uh, I love those records as much as I love the first couple of records, so, yeah, you can't go wrong with any era of suicidal for my money, and this is, you know, probably the album that everybody can agree on. It's got a little bit of everything on it. Uh, so, yeah, Lights, Camera, Revolution, a great record. Uh, you know, I probably should have and could have played Simi or Money to spotlight the album, but I'm going to go with this one. This was always a favorite of mine just because it's so absurd and, you know, not that I agree with uh, murder or anything, but it's really just the song title and just the great... You know, it's got that punk hardcore edge to it still, but also metal. So I'm going with this one. Disco's out, murder's in.
ST right there, Suicidal Tendencies from the album Lights, Camera, Revolution, with Disco's Out, Murder's In. Yeah, number eight, good one right there. Now coming in at number seven, a band that actually uh, on this particular album was supporting this band on this album. So yeah, in short and more simply, this is the band that Suicidal Tendencies opened for on the Lights, Camera, Revolution tour and also for this band's mega tour right here. And at the time people were like, well that's a weird pairing, but... If you went to it, you probably loved it. I bet Randy Brown went to it. By the way, Randy Brown. Randy has been texting me as he's been listening to the show this week, telling me about all the bands that he saw on my list. And I'm super jealous, but I love that he's doing it. So special shout out to you, Randy. I got a feeling that uh, you're going to be poking in here uh, later on in this episode right here. But until then, we're going to talk about our number seven record, Queensryche Empire. Yeah, I mean... Yes, the uh, the heralded album is Operation Mindcrime, and that might be their best overall album. But it's hard to argue that Empire isn't contending for that as well. Empire is the peak of Queensryche's, you know, popularity and notoriety and being popular on the radio and MTV at the same time. You know, even, even without Silent Lucidity. And of course, Silent Lucidity is the song that pushed this album into the stratosphere, but... You know, all these other songs did really well on their own, some with the help of it and some without. So, yeah, it's just a solid, essential record for sure. You should have this record. And, you know, I'm just now kind of discovering, man, this guy gets around. Uh, so, yeah, just as the official stat to get to this little factoid here. This album came out on August 20th of 1990, and it was produced by a guy named Peter Collins. And I gotta say, I was about to talk about and, you know, rave about how great this album sounds, because it does. But I, I gotta give some of that credit to Peter Collins, the producer, because I was looking up his bio, and, like, every album he produced are, like, next-level albums for these bands. And he works with a lot of classic artists, 
but some of their better sounding records comes from this guy. Like Alice Cooper's Hey Stupid was produced by this guy. Rush's Test for Echo and Counterparts was produced by this guy. So this guy has got a killer, phenomenal ear right there. So give it up for Peter Collins. And of course, give it up for Queensryche. This is a great record, of course. You know, it could have come in anywhere from 10 to 4 on this list. And it would have been legit. But Empire, solid record. Once again, you must have it. I'm going to play this one right here. You could play pretty much anything off this record. I know that's cliche, but it's absolutely true. I'm playing this one because I call this one a Z-Rock favorite. Every time I hear this song, it makes me think of listening to Z-Rock for hours on end whilst playing, you know, Super Nintendo or something like that. So here you go. This one's for me. This is Anybody Listening?
The theme song for my brain right there. Anybody listening? Yeah, I hope so. But yes, that was Queensryche from the Empire record. Amazing stuff right there. And we're moving on to album number six. And I got to say, this album, I, I love it so much. It's having me break my normal rule of the fact that I'm putting an album that I would normally relegate to the odds and ends uh, and, and I'm making it an official part of this countdown right here. But I feel like it's justified for sure. I mean, number one, yes, it's my show. Number two, I, I normally do not ever want to include instrumental albums in the official album ranking. I know that may seem unfair to people, but I have a hard time grading and rating an album where there's no vocals versus an album that does. I just feel like it's a different kind of journey and a different listening experience. I mean, yes, it's all music, but, you know, I just think it's different. But an album like this uh, really does give you the full album experience. I think the reason why I shy away from rating instrumental albums, and I do like a good amount of them, is because I feel like every song, you know, kind of sounds the same a lot of the times, or at least it gives you the same kind of mentality. But this record 
as far as instrumental albums and instrumental rock guitar albums, this is the standard bearer. This is the Sgt. Pepper, the Smile, what have you. Uh, it's a next level record. It's an album that has, you know, influenced many a player to pick up the guitar and get better at it. It actually had the opposite effect on me. I've often said, this is the album that made me quit wanting to be a lead guitar player and focus on being a rhythm guitar player. Like, this is where I was like, I love these guys. I love this man. But yeah, I think I'm going to go the uh, Steve Clark, Malcolm Young route, <laughs> you know, because uh, I just don't think that this is ever in the cards for me. Obviously, practice makes perfect, but also being dropped off by space parents at a young age probably also makes perfect. And that's the theory I have on this guy right here, the great Steve Vai. And I'm including Steve on this list because... Honestly, I played this album as much as anything here in the top 10, if not more so than some of these. Honestly, in the year 1990, I bought the cassette for this thing, and man, it's it just rules. Like I said, every song takes you on a different journey. It's a true album. Uh, it's a piece of art, for damn sure. And you, know, you have to get deep and artsy when you talk about albums like this, because it really is one of those things. Uh, Steve infamously told a story about how he fasted uh, solid food, he abstained from sex, and all this other stuff for an entire week, and then he recorded this song I'm going to play for you right here. And it sounds pretentious, and, you know, yeah, it kind of is. But, you know, I believe that he did it, and it made for a great song. This is just kind of one of his showpieces. And I definitely recommend this album as a whole once again, because... It's just all over the place. You can tell that he's a student of Zappa's because it's just so interesting and entertaining, even though there is some spoken word stuff in it and you do hear some people talking here and there in their samples, but there's no singing on it at all. But it's incredibly captivating. But I am going to go with the ballad right here because I feel like this is this is his thing. Like this is Steve I's Stairway to Heaven or what have you. This is They're, they're going to put this on his tombstone right here. So here you go. From the great... Passion and Warfare record. This is Steve Vai and For the Love of God.
between pagan and Christian. Thank you, David Coverdale, for that little uh, outro right there. That was For the Love of God. And yes, that was David Coverdale with that little spoken bit. That was from the album Passion and Warfare. That was Steve Vai's second studio album, released in May of 1990, and definitely, for sure, self-produced. How could you produce that if you were anybody else but Steve? All right. I'm sure Frank was proud. I'm sure Roth was proud. I'm sure everybody that ever associated with Steve Vai was proud of him and being associated with that man, that alien, than when that album came out. Okay. We're getting into the top five here. Before we do, it is halfway through the show. I'm bumping up the halftime show here to a couple of songs away from this, and you'll see why. And uh, uh, my special guest will be especially happy by that. So we're going to get to album number five right here. This was a sophomore album, yet another one, by this band right here. And it was, uh, as people like to call it, the artistic follow-up. As in, you're going to get a tad more critical acclaim, but you're not going to sell as many records. And that was the case with this band. The album did pretty well. Talking about the great living color, this album here, Time's Up, should have been, you know, should have sold 8 million copies with 12 Grammys, I don't know. But this album was released on August 28th of 1990, produced by the great Ed Stasium. Talk about another great ear. That guy's got an amazing ear. Uh, but yeah, check this one out. They actually kind of put this out as a single again this year, an updated version for 2020, although they didn't really change any of the words. They just released a video of them playing this live, mixed in with footage of all the uh, Black Lives Matter protests and a lot of other things going on in this world. So definitely a case of the more things change, the more they stay the same. But uh, this is the album closer from this great album, Time's Up. So here is Living Color kicking off the top five here with This Is The Life. Thank you. 
All right, this is The Life by Living Color. Not the most accessible song on the record, but I really like that one and it never gets played. But there's so many great songs on that record type. Elvis is dead, Love Rears Its Ugly Head. You know, I it's so cool. I love the cameo by Dougie Fresh on there for Tag Team Partners. Just, just phenomenal. All right, moving on to number four right here. This next album came out on August 21st of 1990. Co-produced by Mark Dotson, Johnny Z, Marsha Z, and the band. Talking about Anthrax and their fifth studio album, Persistence of Time. The fourth with Joey Belladonna. And would prove to be their last for quite a bit. Pretty much for another 20 years. Uh, it would be that Joey wouldn't do another whole album with them until then. At least a studio one. that wasn't a compilation record. Uh, but yeah, Persistence of Time is definitely an important record for me. This is kind of where I became a bigger fan of Anthrax. I already was very aware of them. I was really big on I'm the Man and a handful of the songs on Among the Living. But this is when I became a big fan in 1990. I had uh, got the time uh, taped off of MTV uh, on my VHS and I played it over and over and over again. It was crazy. Still love that. I still think Got the Time is one of the best covers of all time to this day. Uh, But yeah. Persistence of Time is a solid record for me, top to bottom. I'm even enough of a fan of this record that I bought the Big Bad Deluxe Vinyl Edition of it this year, the big 30th anniversary. So yeah, I do love this record. And I do love this song extra because it reminds me not only of the video, which I did like a lot, but of course the iconic, the now iconic appearance that they did on Married with Children playing this song right here. So to represent the number four album of 1990, Persistence of Time, This is Anthrax with In My World. Turn it up and wreck the house.
Number four right there on the top albums of 1990, Persistence of Time by Anthrax, and that was the song In My World. So many great songs on that record. Belly of the Beast, Got the Time, Keep It in the Family, great stuff. All right, before we get to the number three record, I have a special surprise for you out there. Your friend of mine, but especially mine, Randy Brown, he is coming in and he's going to give you the list of his Top favorite albums of the year 1990. Take it away, Randy. Hey, Joey, and everybody listening to Rock Strikes 10. This is Randy Brown from the Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, which can also be heard here on the, the cnjradio.com network. Very excited to come back and join you again, to, this time to talk about my favorite records of 1990. We talked about 2005 not long ago. And uh, I think this was actually a bigger music year for me than 2005. Which I think then I even said it wasn't that big of a, a year for me. But 1990 was a huge year. So I'm going to talk about my favorite 15 records from 1990 real quick. And we're going to just do this in alphabetical order. So as to not have to convolute everything and whatnot. Almost every one of these actually I saw these tours. Roughly, or, you know, pretty close to them. First we're going to start off with Heaven or Las Vegas by the Cocteau Twins. I saw this tour uh, early 91. They came through, only time I've ever seen the Cocteau Twins, and it's kind of funny when you're not ready for how a band is presented on stage, and you've got, you always have these, the, maybe in the day before YouTube and all that, you know, you have no actual idea possibly what the band looks like when playing and realizing, oh, there's not a drummer. So you just had, uh, you know, the entire front line straight up on the front and then a drum machine behind them. Uh, that was pretty cool. That was a, a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, second, Danzig 2, Lucifuge by Danzig. This record completely kills me because I knew virtually nothing about Danzig going into to this show. Uh, we were go actually going to see Soundgarden on Louder Than Love. They were opening the tour. And I decided to pick up a tape. I picked up a cassette single of Her Black Wings and 777. And that was the only thing I knew going in. I picked that up like on Saturday and the show was on Monday or Tuesday. Actually happened to be the day that Stevie Ray Vaughan passed away. The next day I went out and I picked up Lucifuge because the show just melted my brain. They were so great. We met them afterwards, met Erie Vaughn and met Glenn afterwards and chatted. And they were really nice and really cool. And so, yeah, pretty great stuff. Number three. I did not see this tour. I saw them the next time they came through, but this would be the Dwarves, Blood, Guts, and Pussy. Probably 17 minutes of some of my favorite punk rock ever, ever made. If you're not familiar with that record, go pick it up. It's the one with the... I'd say it's the one with the the uh, offensive cover, but most of their covers can probably be construed as offensive, so there you have it. Number four, we have Judas Priest with Painkiller. The very first time I saw Judas Priest... On a tour with Megadeth and Testament. You know, th those three records were, were huge that year. Although one does not make the list. But you had Judas Priest on Painkiller. You had Megadeth on Rust in Peace. And then you had Testament on Souls of Black. Killer show. Killer, I mean, just, just front to back. Amazing show. Number five, L7, The Smell the Magic EP. Fast and Frightening still kills me to this day. One of my favorite songs ever. Number six, Absolute Torch and Twang from Katie Lang. Her, uh, I guess, third major label record at that point. 
Uh, surprise. I did not go see the show, but my mom actually went and saw Katie Lang. My mom's actually the person who turned me on to Katie Lang, which is a big bummer because I ended up missing her in 88 because I just shunned everything that had to deal with country at that point. Stupidly on my part, because I did not go see the Buck Owens Dwight Yoakam tour with a young Katie Lang opening. So I've got several friends who just continue to tell me what an idiot I am for missing that. Uh, coming in number seven here, Midnight Oil, Blue Sky Mine. Saw this show at the Bronco Bowl. Uh, it sold so poorly. Uh, and this was one of my first lessons in in like music business. They had come through and they had played two years prior on Diesel and Dust. They did one of the, in, here in Dallas, they used to do these shows at Dallas Alley. It was a big open air deal. And they were always free. And so... Midnight Oil had come through and played, you know, probably like six, seven, eight thousand people crammed into Dallas Alley, uh, famously the same place that Van Halen did their their free show here in Dallas uh, a couple of years later. But Midnight Oil, they were they were booked to play at Starplex, twenty thousand people. The show did not sell. <laughs> Ends up getting moved to the Bronco Bowl, which is about a thirty five hundred seater, and selling maybe half of that out. We were right up against the stage, and I will tell you what, uh, Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil sweats more than any man I've ever seen. Before the second song, he his pants were already drenched, and just, he flung sweat on everybody, every chance he got. But it was fun. It was great. It was the only, uh, only time I've ever seen Midnight Oil, but it was, it was cool. Number eight, Peter Murphy, Deep. I got to see this tour three times coming through Dallas. and The second two times were good. The first time was, was enigmatic. Just a phenomenal performer in Peter Murphy. He played Cut You Up from the top of the speakers, just pointing down at everybody. Uh, it was just, for lack of a better term, and I'm glad it's kind of died off a little bit. It was an epic performance. A uh, little band by the name of Nine Inch Nails was opening. Tremendous. But that album, Deep, fantastic record. Just front to back. Uh, number nine, Public Enemy, Fear of a Black Planet. This would be probably my first hip-hop record. And just the the production on it still kills me. Just how deep and thick it is. Just incredible. <laughs> you, you've heard that record. You know. You know how good it is. Uh, number 10 would be the debut from the band here from Dallas, the Reverend Horton Heat. Smoke them if you got them. Nice, uh, nice little slab of rockabilly there if that's what you're into. Number 11, if we're going to have to say that something is probably my favorite record from 1990, this would probably have to be it. Uh, no surprise. Slayer, Seasons in the Abyss, contains my favorite ever metal song ever in in the the title track got to see him three times on this tour also phenomenal uh, again just like the danzig show just melted my brain <laughs> it's still still to this day a diehard diehard slayer fan number 12 sonic youth with goo saw this tour at club clearview in dallas the little band called the laughing hyenas opening pretty great little show there I'd like to go back and uh, and see it again now that I'm more versed in earlier Sonic Youth because I knew very little about them. I'm not going to lie and say I was I was in from like Sister or whatever. Goo was was my my go-to, my first Sonic Youth record and man that show was great. Uh, number 13, The Sundays with Reading, Writing and Arithmetic. 
was supposed to go see Phil Collins the same night as the Sundays and wound up going and selling my Phil Collins ticket outside the gate. And uh, we went and picked up a sold out show at the Arcadia Theater in Dallas to go see the Sundays. Uh, was it, we were able to to get tickets at the door somehow. I guess they released a couple more and got in. Completely missed Yola Tango, who were the openers. But the Sundays had so little material that they had to come back out and play the single Here's Where the Story Ends a second time just because there was demand for an encore. Number 14, Uncle Tupelo, No Depression. Uh, this is honestly, this isn't a record I was listening to in 1990. I'm not going to lie. I got around to this at a, about five years later when I, again, I had shunned almost everything dealing with country. So, yeah, that's a big screw-up on my part, not being in on the Uncle Tupelo thing, because I barely missed seeing them. I got into them about a year after they broke up, and they had just played Dallas, like, directly a year before. So, big, big flub on my part. Oops, and it seems like I did kind of go out of alphabetical order here. Number 15 coming in with the aforementioned Testament, Souls of Black. I did see this uh, two or three times, uh, once with Priest and twice with uh, Slayer, and and I loved this record. I know a lot of people have, have kind of considered it a throwaway and something that they had to uh, slap together in order to get onto some European dates uh, for the label, but man, I loved, loved, loved this album. I actually got to meet the Met Them and Slayer on this tour. They did a, a signing, and somewhere I've got... A, uh, a mobile, <laughs> a nice promo mobile signed by uh, Chuck Billy and I believe Alex Skolnick from Testament. Uh, so I need to get that out. I need to get that out and put it up here in my office. So anyway, there you go. 1990, my top 15 records. Joey, thank you again for letting me come on and, and chat with your Rock Strikes 10 fans. Please check out the Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions. I would really love it if you would. If you like variety, I like variety too. As Hopefully you can see from that list. A pretty solid bit of variety there. And again, thank you very much.
right. Coming in at number three, that was Slayer with War Ensemble from the album Seasons in the Abyss. I went ahead and just played that after Randy's bit because, you know, he had Slayer in his... uh, He said that was his number one album of 1990, so that's why I bumped Randy up to towards the end of the show. So you're welcome, Randy. You got to open for Slayer. And yeah, I love Seasons in the Abyss as well. Probably their best overall album, top to bottom, if if I had to go there. Uh, But yeah, that album came out on October 9th of 1990, co-produced by Rick Rubin and mostly produced by Andy Wallace and Slayer. So yeah, how could you not enjoy that? That's one of the greatest metal songs of all time, War Ensemble. And of course, the title track does own the great Dead Skin Mask on there as well. I mean, great record. And now we've come to the number two album of 1990. It was released on September 3rd of 1990, produced by the late, great Chris Sangarides. And this was a return to form for this band. You know, I liked the albums that preceded this, uh, the albums that were kind of a, a misstep in the style that they were really famous for. But they got their brain back on this one right here, and they went through a lot to get to it. And, you know, we celebrate them to this day. One of the greatest bands of all time. Not just heavy metal bands, but one of the greatest bands of all time. Talking about the mighty, mighty Judas Priest and their album Painkiller. It was their 12th studio album, and they still had a ton of teeth left. Painkiller was like the answer to all the bullshit that was going on with the uh, suicide trial, which never should have gone to trial. There's no way you should let that go to trial. That was embarrassing. Uh, But also, like... Yeah, just, you know, I think really just the fact that they were put out there as the spokespeople for heavy metal. And I think my theory, once it came time to make a record, and honestly, I think Rob Halford, more so than anybody else, always has his ear to the ground. He always knows what's going on. And I think he saw all these other bands that were coming up and was like, if we're going to say we're a heavy metal band, we better put our money where our mouth is. And they definitely did it here on Painkiller. Uh, Very tempted to play the title track. The title track, Painkiller, is one of the greatest songs ever. It's, it just always gets you in a good mood, and it always gets the blood boiling. But I'm going to play this one right here. Very similar to the title track, but it never gets any love. And it's a manic song as well. Uh, I love this whole record. Of course I do. Uh, so here, to represent the Painkiller album and the number two album here for 1990, this is Judas Priest with Metal Meltdown. Take it away, Glenn.
All right, Metal Meltdown by Judas Priest from the album Painkiller, the number two album of 1990, according to me. Why waste time? Let's get to number one right here. Uh, Really, when I started to do this list, this was the first album that came to mind, and it never fell off the number one slot. No disrespect to any of the other albums I played on this countdown, but this is the best album of 1990. I became such a huge fan of this band after being aware of them for years, and I knew their records, but this was just a next-level record, and I'm still a fan for that reason. And not only is this a great heavy metal album, it's it's a great representation of how well you can play your instrument. It's not proggy, even though there are a lot of time changes here and there, and it's definitely pseudo-proggy, but it's just a master class. That's really the only way I can say it. Uh, and also just one of my favorite albums of all time. If it's not in my top 10 Desert Island, it's in my top 20 easily. And yes, it is my favorite album of 1990. This was the band's fourth studio album, produced by Mike Klink and Dave Mustaine. It was released on September 24th of 1990. Of course, I'm talking about Rust in Peace, and we gotta do this one. Yes, this is an obvious one. It's the kickoff track from the album, but... I think this song best represents the album. That one and the second song, but this one, it's just a special song for me. It really blew my mind when it came out, and it still blows my mind. So here you go, closing off the show here, and the 90 from 90 overall, the best album of 1990. Once again, rest in peace. This is Megadeth with Holy Wars, The Punishment Due.
Holy War is the Punishment Due by Megadeth from the greatest album of 1990, Rest in Peace. By the way, I, I did forget to thank Randy Brown for doing that list uh, there and also kind of heal him a little bit for not having this album on his list because it damn well should have been. <laughs> I kid. I love you, Randy. But uh, yeah, you're going to hear about him again once we get to the plugs here at the end of the show. So before we get to that, I just want to thank everybody for tuning into this show. It's been an epic journey here with the 90 from 90, this nine-parter that we pulled off in the course of about a week and change. So, yeah, and just right before as the holidays are kicking off. So I got to get out of here and prepare for our annual holiday spectacular. But once again, just thank you for tuning into this list and caring. And if you're sharing or doing any of that, thank you so much. You're a friend of mine. Happy holidays. Stay tuned for my better half, Nola, and also just my reason for living. And, of course, the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, our new kittens, Ruby and Ripley, get a treat. We're on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going back all the way to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. Talking Rock with Joey and the great Mark Streakle of Talking Metal. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. Last but not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent you. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. <laughs> <laughs>